I'm reading from the Living Bible, a paraphrased uh, edition of the Holy Scriptures, chapter 18, verse 1, following of Jeremiah. Here is another message to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the shop where clay pots and jars are made, and I will talk to you there. I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheels. But the jar that he was forming did not turn out as he wished, so he kneaded it into a lump and started again. Then the Lord said, O Israel, cannot I do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand. Whenever I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be taken up and destroyed, then if that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will make a certain nation strong and great, but then that nation changes its mind and turns to evil and refuses to obey me, then I too will change my mind and not bless that nation as I had said I would. Therefore go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the word of the Lord. I am planning evil against you now instead of good. Turn back from your evil ways and do what is right. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I want to speak to you today about a wonderful prophet in the Old Testament whose name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not receive a favorable press, either in his own day nor by many in days following. Jeremiah has always been looked upon as such a gloomy, weepy person that we do not look to him for that strength of character that is really there. But in this tremendous figure from the Old Testament, you find one of the rarest and most sensitive of all of God's people who speaks so clearly to the day in which we are now living because the Spirit of God spoke so clearly to him in the day in which he walked upon this earth. Sometimes I am amused by the fact that we think that so many of our methods in the church today are new and novel. We think, for instance, that visual aids in worship or visual aids in understanding the scriptures in Sunday school are something brand new. But that's not so, and especially if you look back to this man, Jeremiah. To begin with, Jeremiah was the son of a country preacher. He came from a village called Anathoth that had been created for priests in which they studied the word of God. He was a sensitive and rare soul who would speak to the mind of young people today because he was only 18 or 20 when the voice of God came to him and called him to be a prophet. And being a prophet was no easy task, for it was Jeremiah's duty to preach to a people who did not wish to hear his message, a word of denunciation and judgment that God was going to bring upon them. And he did it in many unusual ways, as I have indicated. For instance, on some given, given Sabbath, Jeremiah would take up a beautiful, beautiful piece of pottery, and he would come to the church that day and walk with it in his arms. And he would look at all the elders of the church, and they would look at him, and then Jeremiah would walk with that piece of pottery, and he would go with it, 
out to the edge of the city, and the elders would follow, wondering what would happen. And Jeremiah would throw it to the ground. And as it shattered into pieces, Jeremiah would say, that's what God is going to do to Judah because you have disobeyed my commandments. And that was the sermon for the day. Jeremiah would appear another time if it would be in a congregation like this. He would enter the back of the church after the people were there with a yoke upon his neck and walk the length of the sanctuary and walk all the way around and people would follow him wondering what Jeremiah was up to now. And Jeremiah would say, you see this yoke which is upon my back? Look at this yoke. Because that's what Babylon is going to do to you. You're going to be taken away. Captive. Now you can imagine that this did not go over with a great deal of success among the princes and the ruling people of Jeremiah's day. No, far to the contrary. He promptly got kicked out of the ministerial association. Uh, he was roundly criticized for not accentuating the positive. His sermons were called untimely, disheartening. That people had come to church wanting something to help them, something pleasant to dwell upon. And here he comes with his iron harp talking to them about the judgment of God. But you see, Jeremiah listened. For the voice of God and true prophets are rare. A lot of hirelings, but very few prophets come. And this prophet of God looked at a wicked people, a people who had been the choicest vine that God had taken out of the land of Egypt and set in a promised land, a people who had been blessed by deliverance and deliverance and deliverance and deliverance, but a people who now were debauched with sensuality, luxuriating, a people who are stiff-necked, idolatrous, superstitious, immoral, just like America is today. And Jeremiah came saying that they were going to be overthrown, they were going to be destroyed, and so the princes didn't like it. Jeremiah's first message from God came in these quaint words from the King James Version. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And he said, I see the rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot. And the face thereof is toward the north. You see what he is saying? I was in Jerusalem once in March, and I saw an almond tree. And an almond tree is the first tree to bud forth when the beginning of spring comes. So much so that the Jews had a parable about the almond tree that it was like a waker, a watcher, who was watching for spring to come, who was awake and wakening. And when Jeremiah saw that almond tree budding open in its white pink petals there, God spoke to him and said, Jeremiah, I have set you to see what I'm going to do to a people who have turned their backs upon me. You are watching. And what you are watching 
is going to take place. Do you see that seething pot, that boiling cauldron? Well, that's Babylon. And one day, there will come upon these people terror. So Jeremiah's message as a prophet was a message that did not have a note of popularity about it. And what about modern-day religion? A touch more abortion, a little more pornography, more freedom, but no one standing crying out against the sins of the country. What will happen? God may very well let us be plunged, we who thought we were the almost chosen people, into a captivity if we are not faithful to turn from our sins. Well, Jeremiah went one day at the beckoning of the Spirit of God outside the city of Jerusalem into the lower section, and there he went to a grimy place a shack where a potter was busy at work at his wheels. Wheels that turned and caused another wheel to turn. And there would be a vessel, a jar on it. And the potter would take a lump of clay and put it upon that wheel that was turning. And he would moisten his fingers and then he would begin to shape the clay. And because there was some, some foreign matter in it, some grit, a little piece of pebble or stone, it was marred in his hand. And the potter took it and he crushed it all up again. And then he made again another vessel. And what Jeremiah speaks, although it is a word of denunciation against sin, is a word that also carries with it a message of hope. Because what Jeremiah the prophet says about pottery is this. He said there is a divine potter and he is God. And God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. And those who are willing to yield to the hand of the potter, God can take that marred life and he can make it over again. He can make it over again. And so you see, in Jeremiah, there is a note of tremendous hope and blessing that is coming. Oh, if only the people had listened to Jeremiah. Isaiah seemed to have more support the hundred years before Jeremiah when he preached and taught. Evidently, there were more believers, and they listened to Isaiah. And because they did, Isaiah had seen Jerusalem saved from Assyria. But now Jeremiah, Jeremiah does not see this success with the people. But they refuse. And do you know what they try to do? They try to blame it on God. They say, so we are steeped in superstition, astrology, witchcraft, Satanism. Ouija boards, fortune tellers, spiritism, all of this stuff is just as current today in America as any time Jeremiah saw it 2,600 years ago. It's there, and God is speaking to us about it, telling us, turn away from your idols, turn away from your debauchery and sensuality, turn to chasteness and purity, Turn back, O oh man, forsake your foolish and sinful ways. Do not oppress the poor. Seek after social justice. Seek after a right relationship with God. But they would not listen. But God's message of judgment is also a message of love because he can take 
this marred vessel and make it again. Jeremiah has a business transaction, and you can read all about it in his blessed book. You see, after Jeremiah had even been arrested and placed in a dungeon because he had denounced the people's sin, undermining the morale of the people in a time of war, there came from Anathoth one of his cousins, a kinsman. And he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you know the, the way it is in our custom, in our country, that you have the right to purchase a field that is a part of our family field. Now, I don't know whether you want to purchase it or not because you've been saying that we're going to be overrun. And Jeremiah said, no, I want to purchase that field. Go get the deed and make it out and seal it and I'll pay you the money for it. And so they did. And Jeremiah delivered the money and he bought the field because he knew that after God had finished his chastening work, that Judah would blossom forth again and vineyards would be there and gardens would be there. And Jeremiah was a prophet of ultimate hope because he believed in the purpose of God. He knew that one day God's work would have his way, even if it would be with only a tiny minority, a faithful remnant that would return. Now then, not only does the prophet have this message that tells us, by the way, this. Are you willing to fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed? Are you willing to be a failure for God? A failure for Him? To be unpopular? Are you willing to be one of the minority group who may have to harp in a minor key? You may very well be called upon to be so. And don't think that it's popular, this play church stuff. Oh, it must stink in the nostrils of the Almighty. But people who are willing to yield their wills and their minds and their all to him, these have some contact with God, the God who speaks from the scriptures. The others seek only toys to lull them in their fears and comfort them in their loss. But this living God has spoken to us, spoken to us a message through Jeremiah. Be faithful. Be faithful no matter what everyone else is doing about you. Jeremiah gives us already the clue in his marvelous 31st chapter of a day when God will take away a heart of stone and make a heart of flesh. He tells us that there will come a day when worship will not be formality, but it will be that the Spirit of God shall change hearts and minds. And people will worship God, a called out people, called unto his purpose, because they have had a new birth, because they have been born over again. And there's a great story about Jesus of Nazareth and a professor of theology named Nicodemus a man who came under the cloak of darkness because the pressures of his sect were great. And yet he had seen a quality in Jesus that he had never seen in any of the theological books that he had read. He had heard in the voice of Jesus a note of authority and a ring of truth that never came from any other source. 
And that venerable old father in Israel came to Jesus by night and said, My dear rabbi, my dear teacher, we know that you have come from God. For no man could do these signs that you have done unless God is with him. And Jesus staggers his imagination for a moment and he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man be born anew, born anew by the Spirit of God, he can't see nor understand this, the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old and set in his way? Jesus said this is accomplished by the mysterious, eerie work of God's Spirit. God's Spirit. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. Listen to the wind. Jesus says to the church today, listen to the wind. The wind is blowing, the winds of the Spirit of God. The wind is blowing even among many young people. And they are turning by faith, in, uh, by faith to Jesus Christ to remake their lives and to change them again. Do you know what was the most popular book in 1971? Eric Siegel's love story sold 500,000 copies. But did you know that the reach-out edition of the Living New Testament sold 2 million copies? Many young people listening to the wind and the Spirit of God speaking to their minds and to their hearts and finding in Christ Jesus a new birth that had been prophesied by Jeremiah all those hundreds of years before Jesus of Nazareth spoke to Nicodemus of Jerusalem and told him that a man had to be born again. He said, I will write my law in their hearts. My spirit will come in them. That's what Jeremiah predicted at the beckoning of God's voice speaking to him. This is what God is saying to us today. What about marred vessels? How can God use them? Well, Jeremiah knew his Old Testament, and Jeremiah knew about Jacob, and he knew what a cheat and a supplanter he was. And one night he wrestled with an angel of God, and Jacob, the supplanter, was changed by the power of God. And God used him. What about David? David, the man who had committed the grossest immorality and murder and treachery and lying. A marred vessel. And yet God's spirit spoke to him so that when David made his great prayer repenting, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And God did. Now, is your relationship to the church just a formal thing? Is your relationship to Jesus of Nazareth just the Sunday school bit that you take out on Sunday morning and put back next Sunday? Or is he a living, viable force in your day-by-day -day existence? At night when you go to bed, can you look back over the day and say, I have sought to live this day for my Lord? When other people see you make business decisions, is there that molding influence of the Spirit of God in the person of Jesus as Lord in your life? Our young people have a, a slogan one way. They shout it one way. 
one way to God through Jesus, and I believe that with all my heart. But do you know what the earliest Christian sign was with the hand? Three fingers. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Meaning that he is Lord of my life. Lord of my business life. Lord of my sex life. Lord of all that I do. It belongs to him. Now that's what the Christian faith is all about. Jesus is Lord. A marred vessel by the name of Peter who walked three years with Jesus and heard all those matchless words that fell from his lips. And then that night in Caiaphas' courtyard, denied him three times over. And the crowing of the cock awakened his conscience and Peter ran out into the darkness weeping bitterly. This failure, this miserable flop, what will God do with him? As he sobs, and his tears are many, God will take those tears, and he will change them. He will change them and make this man anew. He will make him a rock upon which the church can be built. He will make him the Peter of Pentecost who fearlessly stands and proclaims Jesus as Lord in the teeth of the very people who had put Jesus to death. Think about John Mark, that man who failed on his missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and ran away home, a marred vessel, and yet he repented, and in his repentance God changed him and made him again, and made him again. Let me say this, this speaks of God's forgiveness of sin. And when God, for God forgives completely, St. Paul could cry out, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The potter has made him again. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. There are always people who get to that time in life when the destruction that wastes at noonday appears. And they think, I have come to this place in my life, and it's miserable I have accomplished nothing. I am full of despair, I am desolate. I am disappointed and discontented with my lot. And if there is a person like that here today, then that person should listen. Listen to the Spirit of God speaking through Jeremiah, saying, I can make you again. Speaking through Jesus, saying, I can give you a new birth. Speaking through Paul, saying, I can make you a new creation. And so he does, because he loves us so. Because he loves us so. Over in Scotland, it used to be my privilege to go and preach on the Sabbath day. And frequently, I would take the train from Edinburgh, and I'd go to the old Waverley Station and get on the train, and if I would be traveling in the direction that would be north of Edinburgh, I would go across the Firth of Forth, the big body of water that was there. There was a gigantic railway bridge called the Forth Bridge. And oh, that bridge was long, and we would travel for a long time on the train, and you were looking out at the water as you went across the fourth bridge. When the fourth bridge was completed, it was considered an engineering miracle. And yet, do you know, just before it was completed, the engineers discovered that it was just inches from meeting. They had started at one side and the other, and it started together, and then the bridge was just inches from meeting. 
They didn't know what to do. What would they do? Dismantle part of it, take it away? How could they get the final bolts that would secure it into position? Well, there were wise people in the engineering corps, and they said, we'll wait. What did they wait for? They waited for God's good warm sun to beam down upon the fourth bridge, and all those spans of steel began to expand under the heat of God, and they came together and they clinched it with the bolts. This is the way the drawing power of the love of God is, drawing us unto himself to clinch us together to him, to make us what we ought to be in him. This is the love that the prophet speaks of. This is the lesson from the pottery and the potter. And this is the lesson to the people. He brings to us the joy of the love of God in knowing his forgiveness of sin and newness of life in him. Now, let us receive the benediction. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore.